This is Pastor Chad. Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We are honored that you have joined us today. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Now, let's jump in to today's message. so much for your giving and for being here today. Um, We started a brand new series last week entitled Pace, and I'm excited about the series because God has a pace for your race. Um, We kind of use the analogy of a pace car as we kick the series off of what it does in NASCAR to set the pace of all the cars, and I, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to reset some of us. He wants to reset our pace. Some of us are moving too fast. We, we're at breakneck speed all the time, and, and God needs to kind of rein us in to set our pace. And some of us, we've been stuck for a while or maybe barely moving. We're still in first gear, and God's trying to give us a little nudge. And so I believe he wants to use this series to help us set a pace for 2021 um, the premise of the message last week was we have to, sometimes in order to go forward, we have to go back, that, that we got to go backwards before we can move forward. And the premise of that was from what John wrote in the book of Revelation to the Ephesian church when he said, you guys have a lot of activity going on. And I love the activity. I love your service. I love the way you serve God and serve others. You're doing a lot of things really, really well. But he said, I got this one thing against you. He said, you're doing all these wonderful things, but you have fallen out of love with me. In other words, your heart is not in what you're doing. And, and so Jesus told them, before you move forward, you need to first go back and do what you did when you first fell in love with me. That was message number one. Today I want to talk to you about be faithful regardless. Be faithful regardless. Look at your neighbor and tell them, be faithful. Oh, y'all got to do better than that. Tell somebody, be faithful. Now look back and say, regardless. Okay, be faithful regardless, and we're going to be looking at what God had to say in the book of Revelation to the second church in in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Smyrna. But before we get to that, I want us to look at um, our key text of the whole series, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse number 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There is a pace for your race. To find your pace, you have to be willing to throw off, the writer of Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Some translations say ensnare us. Then you can run with perseverance Now, I love the text because I want you to notice that 
the writer makes a distinction that we need to throw off everything. Some translations say the weight, the weight that hinders us and the sin. All right? So there's two different things that he's talking about here. Um, And I think for the most part, we understand sin, like we need to get rid of that and throw that off. But I don't think we we necessarily comprehend throwing off weights. Um, Sin, yeah, we get it. It's it's like clearly in the Bible, sin, I shouldn't do that. We kind of get that for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. But here's what happens in repentance. When, When we go to God and we say, God, I've messed up. I, I did whatever it was. I confess it. I own it. And, and I'm acknowledging it. And I'm bringing it to you. We confess it and, and we repent of it, which means we own it. You, we take uh, responsibility for it. We ask his grace and forgiveness and, and we leave the sin and we turn to pursue Christ. Now, that, that's repentance. What happens sometimes is that we, we do this part okay. We, we leave it. You know, we're, we're turning from this, and we're going to pursue Christ. But how many have ever learned in your relationship with God that as you pursue him, sometimes it's not sin you pick up along the way, it's weights you pick up along the way. You say, what do you mean by that, Pat? Weights of depression, weights of anxiety, weights of fear. You're, you're pursuing Christ, but it's like carrying a 50-pound bag of sand as you pursue him, and it's really messing up your pace. I got, I got a real good weight for you. Some of us, the weight that we're, we're trying to drag along as we pursue Christ is the company we keep. See, I, I learned a long time ago that sometimes in order to become who God has called me to be, it means I got to throw off some people sometimes. Y'all don't like that word. But listen, if your friends, the people you surround yourself with, are not pushing you toward Christ, then now they have become a weight keeping you from pursuing Christ at the level he wants you to pursue him. And so we got to lay aside sin, but we also got to lay aside weights. And, And again, your race is your race. By throwing off those weights, by throwing off the sin, then we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the pioneer. He started our faith, but he's also the the perfecter of our faith. Now, how many know that as we pursue Christ, we're going to have some difficulty along the way? We're going to have some struggle. Um, We're going to face some challenges Because the writer of Hebrews tells us to consider Jesus as we walk out our salvation. And as we consider Jesus, we know that on his way to the cross, he endured a lot of opposition, which means that you and I will also endure a lot of opposition. Hit your neighbor real quick, make sure they're awake, and tell them, be faithful regardless. All right, you got to find a new neighbor. Tell them, be faithful regardless. Okay, now let's go to the message that Jesus had for the second church, the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter number two, starting in verse number eight. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. And he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Be faithful regardless. In Yellowstone National Park resides the most famous geyser. It's called Old Faithful. It bears that name unlike all the other geysers because it follows a consistent schedule. Every 44 minutes to two hours within that window, every 44 minutes to two hours, in that window, every time, it, it shoots a stream of boiling water 170 feet in the air. That's how it got the name Old Faithful. The same message is what Jesus is trying to communicate to the church at Smyrna. I think Jesus, if he could talk to us today in the midst of all that we have going on, he would encourage us to do the same thing that he told this church, to be faithful. That in the midst of political unrest, be faithful. In the midst of a pandemic, be faithful. In the midst of racial tension, be faithful. In the midst of job loss and financial uh, struggle, be faithful. And you may say, well, pastor, it's hard to be faithful in the climate in which we live. Well, I, I think we need to look at the climate at the church that Jesus originally gave this message to. Because Smyrna is what is now known as Izmir, and it's located in Turkey. It's about 40 miles north of Ephesus, the church we talked about last week. It was a major harbor as it is today for commerce. The city was large, it was wealthy, and it led in the fields of science and medicine. It was called the crown of Asia. It was a free city with the right to, of self-government. It was the center, though, of emperor worship, and there erected the first temple to the Roman emperor Tiberius. Under the emperor Domitian, who exiled John to Patmos, and John is the one writing this, emperor worship became required and mandatory. Citizens had to burn incense to Caesar, and they would receive a certificate of their loyalty as they would not only burn incense to Caesar, but they had to confess or proclaim Caesar is Lord. All of that's happening in this city, Smyrna, but there there were some Christians who did not burn incense to Caesar and neither did they profess Caesar is Lord, but on the contrary, they professed Jesus is Lord. I think God is looking for some people in this climate when everybody seems to be losing their mind to declare boldly that Jesus is Lord. Come on, somebody. In the middle of the darkness, Jesus is Lord. In the middle of all the chaos and the stress, Jesus is Lord. And it's wonderful that they had such great faith. But the truth is, they were persecuted and put to death because of their faith. Sounds a lot like today in, in a lot of ways because I think we go through 
things like we've been through over the last year or so, and we think that what we're, we are facing is unique to us. But times like we are living in right now are not simply unique to us. They are unique to us in the fact that we are closer to the coming of the Lord, but they are not unique to us in level of difficulty. As a matter of fact, I would say that the church we're talking about today, the church in Smyrna, had it a whole lot harder than you and I have it, and they were being put to death, literally, for their faith. And in the midst of all the opposition and the challenges, the message that Jesus gave them wasn't, I'm just going to pull you out and you won't have to deal with it. Jesus said, I see your poverty, the slander, the imprisonment. I see you're being put to death. But the word he gave to them was be faithful even unto death. Be faithful even unto death. Church, you will never find the pace for your race without faithfulness. I'm not talking about being faithful when everything's going your way. I'm not talking about faithful when everyone's in your corner. I'm not even talking about being faithful when things are easy. But I'll put it in a question form. Can you be faithful in the middle of conflict? Can you be faithful when you really want to flesh out? Can you be faithful when you don't get your way? Can you be faithful in the middle of challenging times? Can you be faithful when you're unsure of what is about to happen? I think it's, it begs the question, what does it mean to be faithful? When, when, when you look at the word faithful, it literally means to be steady, to be certain of God's truth, to remain loyal. It's in the Greek, we get the same word, amen, at, at the same word used for amen is used for faithful. And the Greek word for faithful denotes truthfulness or being reliable, confidence, and rest. Proverbs chapter number 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. As I read that verse and studied this week, I thought that there's another sermon in here somewhere, but what I learned is faithfulness produces favor. We'll say that one more time. Faithfulness produces favor. Faithfulness not only gets the attention of God, but faithfulness can get the attention of people who have the power to bless you, to open a door for you, to bring something into your life that would change your life. Faithfulness produces favor. In Revelation 17, 14, the Bible tells us that Jesus overcomes the enemy, but with him are the called, the chosen, and guess what? The faithful. Those that are ascribed and with Jesus, that walk with him, that live with him, that will be with him in the end times conquering evil, are called faithful. I love this. Faithful. Notice what Jesus asked when He's talking about his second coming in Luke chapter number 18, verse number 8. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes or returns, will he find faith on the earth? He's looking for faithful people. The message to the church at Smyrna was, you're being afflicted, you're being imprisoned, you're in poverty, 
You're being slandered. All those things are true. But Jesus said, I want you to remain faithful even if it means death. Be faithful regardless. Let's look at some of the ways that you and I can practically be remain faithful. Number one, we can remain faithful by being faithful in small things. I think sometimes we overlook the small things because we're always looking for the next big thing. We want big opportunities and big doors and, and, and big things that God brings into our lives. But what I have noticed about God is that if we are not faithful over small things, then God never entrusts to us the big things that our heart desires. And, and, and some, of pe- some people are going to get mad at me, but you, you're, you're sitting around waiting on the big thing while doing nothing. And while you're waiting on the big thing doing nothing, I want to tell you, you're going to be waiting for a long time, baby. The big thing ain't coming. You say, well, pastor, I'm just waiting on on my ship to come in. Well, your ship cannot come in because your ship has never set sail. You've never started anything. You've never began anything. You've never been diligent over the small thing. And it's a principle that we see all throughout the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 21, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This principle is that until we are faithful over the small thing, we can never be entrusted with the great things or the big things. Now, A lot of people don't understand that God is no respecter of persons, but God is very much a respecter of principle. So so if if I operate in God's principle and God blesses me big while you're doing nothing, you have no right to get mad and and say, I don't know why he's blessed if you're not doing the principles that I'm doing. God is very much a respecter of principle, not persons, but of principle. And so we have to understand the importance of, of doing the small thing well over time. Not not to grow weary in it, but to keep doing it, and eventually the big things come. Some people never accomplish anything because they sit around waiting on something great and instead of being faithful over those small things. I heard about a woman who, she carried this notebook, and in the notebook she had inscribed on it, it had the phrase, a prophet's reward. And she was asked about the phrase in the notebook and asked why she carried this around. And, and she said the reason she carried it around is because her, her father was a retired minister. And, you know, he, he had served his whole life. He had given his life to ministry and to the people. And, and when it came to time for retirement, he just didn't have a whole lot. And so she began a ministry, and and it started small and slowly began to grow, of collecting names of all these retired ministers, uh, most of which did not know her, and she would send them an encouraging note and a check. And so although these retired ministers did not know her personally, they would send back all kinds of thank yous because she was making such a big impact by just taking care of a small need. I'm trying to tell some people today that there 
is power in doing small things. She calls her ministry the prophet's reward because Jesus taught us that there is a great reward even in bringing a cup of cold water in his name. How many are thankful today that God honors the small things that we do on a day-to-day basis just like he honors the big things? The small things can make a difference. That's why Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In other words, God has this way of doing big things, great things in unlikely places through unlikely people. And I don't know about you, I'm as unlikely as they come for God to be doing what he's doing right now. I'm telling you, if you're unlikely, feel unqualified, you are a candidate for God to do great things if you'll keep doing the small things well. Give God a real praise, not a fake praise. No, no patty cake, and we're either going to praise or not. It's the small things consistently over time that produce the big results. And so I, I would say to remain faithful in the days in which we live, then be faithful in the small things. Secondly, be faithful in adversity. The believers in Smyrna, they face suffering for their faith. Other than personal suffering, um, we've known very little of suffering like the early church did. Yet believers all over the world today are suffering. Recent terrorism has opened up our eyes to suffering in a new way. And I have this little pet peeve thing, and it may just be me, but I get frustrated at Americans because we only see the world through our perspective. There's 320 million people here, but there's 8 billion in the world. Yet we process everything through our culture. We process everything through our eyes. And so we're not being persecuted. Maybe that day comes, maybe not. But there could come a day when we're persecuted for being here, for lifting up the name of Jesus. I think at some levels it's already happening. It's not happening like they're not standing outside. But in other places you need to know it's not not allowed to do what we're doing right now that they are literally put to death for their faith. They are imprisoned for their faith. And that's what was happening with the church at Smyrna. He said in, in their sufferings, the believers in Smyrna faced afflictions, which means to be crushed beneath the weight. They were going through, through so many things that it was literally crushing them. They faced poverty. They had economic hardships and, and sanctions because of their faith. They face slander, the scripture says. And and what was Jesus' reaction to all the suffering going on at the church in Smyrna? His reaction was, be faithful. Keep doing what you've been doing. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep serving. Keep moving forward. Church, I came to announce that in, in the middle of the chaos of this world, keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep serving. Keep doing. Be faithful regardless. Now, you, you got to get this because some of us, we're not faithful if we're offended. 
much less imprisoned. Listen, if you can't be faithful to church because you're mad at somebody else or mad at me and you ain't faithful, you ain't ready for this word. Because Jesus is talking to people that are dying for their faith and being imprisoned for it, and you got your feelings hurt, and now you want to quit. Come on, church. We got to be better than that. We got to be more faithful, more diligent, more, more, we got to have a little more tenacity than I got my feelings hurt or I didn't get my way. We got to be tougher than that. Jesus said, keep doing what you be. Be faithful even unto death, he said. He said, I know about the slander. I know those who say they are Jews and they are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. That's Revelation 2.9. The Jews does not refer to everyone, but those leaders who opposed the Christian faith. Many of the Jews had put, in their faith, had put their faith in Christ, but many of them were still persecuting the church. And Jesus speaks of the synagogue. He said he calls it the synagogue of Satan. That's what he called it, synagogue of Satan. Now, the word synagogue is like the word church, and it means an assembly or a congregation. The city of Smyrna used religion for ungodly purposes and to persecute believers. Today, we still see it, maybe not in America, but we see it around the world, how extremists use religion as a sword to wound people rather than a scalpel to heal people. John Wesley said this, some who taught, he said this about those who taught a crude picture of God. He said, your God is my devil. So they were slandered. They were afflicted. They had poverty. Finally, they were imprisoned or put to death. And this is where Jesus introduces the devil. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Jesus is showing us that the devil is the source of persecution. But he does not physically persecute us himself, but the devil motivates and prompts people to carry out his agenda. What a frightening proposition that people can be demonically motivated to persecute people or kill people because they confess Jesus as Lord. I want to remind some people today that we are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are in a spiritual battle that has taken place in heavenly places, and we don't do warfare with machine guns and machetes, but we do warfare by getting on our knees and interceding and praying until the presence of God begins to invade our space, our city, and our world. That's how we do war. But they were being persecuted and imprisoned, and I think there are, there are some lessons here for you and I to um, remain faithful and, and not only to remain faithful, but to understand suffering in general. Some lessons we need to know. Number one, suffering is a test of our faith. Suffering is always a test of our faith. He told the church of Smyrna that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. All suffering is a test that reveals and refines our faith. James, the apostle, wrote in James 1, starting in verse 2, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I'm going to stop and just ask, how many of you over the last year, you would say you face a lot of different trials? Wave at me if you face a lot of different trials. All right. James says, consider it pure joy. I, I want to insert, we don't do well with that. It's, it, now, it's just my humble observation, but we don't do well considering suffering as pure joy. You, you know, James said, I want you to be pumped up about it, that you get to go through it. And then he tells us why. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Most of us do not say in the midst of trials and frustration and challenges, praise ye the Lord. Most of us are belly aching, crying, whining, complaining, telling everybody how bad our world is. Listen, you might, after, at the end of this message, you might be careful to talk about how bad your world is if you've not been beaten, placed in prison, or put to death for your faith. James says, consider it pure joy because what's happening is, is your faith is not mature and your faith is not complete until you've been through some stuff. In other words, if you've only seen the side of God that every time you pray, he answers, and you just live in breakthrough 24-7, and you've never had a season of struggle or affliction or suffering, then your faith is only halfway there. In order for my faith to become refined and pure, and even, I'll take it a step further, mature faith, I've got to go through some seasons where I can't hear God, He's not, it doesn't seem like he's not, it seems like he's not answering me. It seems like this struggle or this affliction, this suffering is not going anywhere. It seems like trial after trial after trial. If you're going, going through a season like that, the word to you is be faithful, be faithful, keep moving forward. Because as I'm about to show you, your suffering, your affliction, and your pain always has an expiration date on it. It's not going to last forever. Anybody thankful? that seasons of suffering don't last forever. There's an expiration date on it. So, so consider it pure joy why suffering is a test. Secondly, suffering's only for a time. In other words, there is an expiration date on it. And I've taught you over the years, if you've been here very long, that our spiritual journey takes place in seasons. Man, there have been seasons when I just, I was living in breakthrough. I mean, just everything. God, every time you pray, God answered. Heavens are open. Things are good. And, and you, if you're not careful, you can start to believe that it's always going to be just like that. But believe me, if you haven't, at some point you will come into a season when it feels like the heavens are silent, these problems are not going away, and it's, see, it's easy to be faithful when you're living in breakthrough. Healing, miracles, God answering prayer. It's easy. It's easy then to, to remain faithful. 
But you got, you got to be faithful even in adversity and understand that suffering is a test. It's only for a time. And thirdly, suffering is a matter of trust. We're supposed to respond to suffering the same way Jesus did. So we got to ask, how did Jesus respond to suffering? Look at 1 Peter chapter number 2. Now this, these four or five verses here, man, they're, they are powerful, especially given the context of this message. It says, to this you were called. Hit your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Did y'all catch that? He suffered, follow in his steps. What's that mean? It means be willing to suffer with a good attitude. Praise the Lord, Pastor. This is such encouragement. It says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So when you commit your suffering to God, he will bring you through, but he will bring you through better than you began. He'll bring you through refined and, and your faith as pure gold. And, and so you got to trust the process. What made Jesus so powerful is, is not only was he the son of God, but he trusted the process even when the process meant, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass, but nevertheless, I'm going to take the cup, I'm going to walk it out. This is not going to be fun in the moment, but for the joy set before him. And I want to remind some people, there's some joyous days ahead of you, and for the joy ahead of you, endure the suffering, endure the affliction with a good attitude, and stay faithful regardless. Stay faithful regardless. Brings me to the final point. He said, be faithful even unto death, so we need to be faithful to the end. Don't stop short. I said a few weeks ago, maybe it was last week, it's not enough for you and I to start the race well. But I've become a whole lot more in tune with finishing well. A lot of people start well. But not everybody finishes well. And Jesus says, be faithful even unto death. And he, he overcame death and he gives us this promise of eternal life. And he's freed us from, from not just death, y'all. Jesus freed us from the fear of death. And, and, and that's the part I, I don't think, I think we really struggle because everybody's so afraid of dying. And I think part of it is because it, it's, it's somewhat unknown, but, but he, he freed us not only from death, but from the fear of death. And then he tells this church, going through so much turmoil, not only to be faithful, but he tells them three things about himself that would help them be faithful. The three things he told them, he said, I am the first and the last. In other words, it started with me, and if you're in me, it's going to end in me. 
Does that make sense? I, I'm, I am the author of creation. I am the finisher of history. Isaiah describes God this way. He calls him in Isaiah 44, verse 6, it says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. He is the beginning of your salvation, but he's also the one who's going to finish his work in you. And it's a reminder that if you're in a season of difficulty, that he will never quit on you. So don't quit on him. He is the first. He is the last. I got to be faithful even till the end. Secondly, he said, not only I'm the first and last, he said, I died he said, the, the writer, John wrote, he said, he died and he came to life again. That phrase, who died, actually means that Jesus experienced death as a passing event. In other words, it was temporary. It wasn't permanent. But the phrase came to life again, the original meaning of that, uh, not only speaks to his resurrection, but to a permanent state. So we have to consider today that death is temporary, but eternal life is forever. Jesus experienced the worst that can happen to you and I, and yet he overcame it. And what he's telling the people at Smyrna is, is because I overcame, regardless of how this pans out, you too will also overcome. How many are thankful to be an overcomer today because of what Christ has done? He said, I'm the first and the last. He said, I died and came back to life again. And then the third thing he told him, he said, I'm going to give you the crown of life. And basically it was so that they would no longer fear death. The crown of life speaks of the victor's crown given in athletic games. The champions of the Olympic games would wear these. It was also given to magistrates and who had completed their terms of office and they had served faithfully. They were given the victor's crown. And it's important for us to understand today that in the midst, I don't know what's coming in this world. I don't know what's coming in this nation. I do know that in other parts of the world, people are heavily persecuted for their faith, that they struggle with things a whole lot worse than you and I do in America, that our problems are not unique to us. Matter of fact, our problems seem very minimal compared to a large part of the world. And in the midst of that kind of turmoil and struggle, the, the message Jesus gave to the church at Smyrna was be faithful. There is a pace for your race, and the key is having a predetermined, made-up mind that you will be faithful no matter what. This was the word Jesus gave to the Apostle John to write it down in letter form that would circulate churches, many of them facing different types of suffering and adversity, to encourage them to be faithful even unto death. But it wasn't enough for John just to write down what the church needed to do. John had did it himself. It's believed that John was boiled in oil three times and refused to die, but continued to hear from the Holy Spirit. Some of us can't hear from the Holy Spirit if we get our feelings hurt. He's literally being boiled to death 
and he's hearing God. He's not only putting pen to paper, but he put it into action. Because John, the great apostle, he discipled a pastor in Smyrna by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was a pastor who stood up for what was right, who was faithful even in the midst of adversity. And so I want to end by showing you this two-minute video of John, his relationship to Polycarp, and what Polycarp was willing to endure for his faith. Check it out. Like a scene straight out of Gladiator, the 86-year-old Bishop of Smyrna was dragged into the Colosseum. His name was Polycarp. He was told to recant his faith in Christ, but he refused. 86 years I have served him, said Polycarp, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The Colosseum crowd chanted, let loose the lion, but the Roman proconsul chose death by fire instead. Then Polycarp heard a voice, a voice from heaven. The voice said, be strong, Polycarp, play the man. And he did. As the pyre was lit on fire, Polycarp prayed one last prayer. I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. The flames engulfed him, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the flames did not consume him. Instead of burning flesh, the aroma of frankincense filled the Colosseum. So the executioner stabbed Polycarp through the flames. Polycarp bled out, but not before he lived out John's exhortation to the church at Smyrna, the church that Polycarp pastored. Polycarp was discipled and ordained by John himself, so he didn't just read these words in Revelation 2.10. He could hear John's voice. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, said John. Be faithful even to the point of death. And he was. Polycarp died fearlessly, died faithfully. He did what the voice from heaven had commanded. Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. you that video because I hope that the words of John will ring true as this message comes to a close. I pray that whatever suffering you have gone through or have been through, maybe you're, you're presently going through it right now, will seem small to you in, compa in comparison to what those that have gone before us walked out. I started with this statement, and I want to end with this statement. You will never find pace for your race without faithfulness. Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, in the midst of difficult times, be faithful regardless. I love that little video of Polycarp because he said, 86 years I've served him and he's done me no wrong. How many can testify that God has never done you wrong? Church, you can do a whole lot better than that. He said, so there's no way I will recant his name. There's no way I will give in. I'll give my life freely because he's never done me any harm. Stand to your feet all over the building.
say, Pastor, are you preaching at us that we should die for Jesus? I do think we should all be willing to cross that bridge if it comes, but I don't think it's that God's looking for people to die for him as much as he's looking for people who will really live for him and not be faithful only when it benefits you. Can you be faithful when there's no benefit maybe in the natural at all to you? Can you be faithful when it's a whole lot more convenient to be unfaithful? I think that's what God is looking for. And as Polycarp said, as they were ready to light him on fire and did light him on fire, but his flesh didn't burn, it became an aroma. He said, I count it, I, I can't believe, he said, I, I, to be considered worthy to even die. What about being considered worthy to live in this season for Jesus? I hope you've been challenged and stirred to be faithful regardless. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around for a couple of moments because I want to speak to some people today that may be in this room or watching online. The truth is you're not in right relationship with God and you may even ask, Pastor, why would I serve Jesus? Why would I trust him? And I think the answer is real simple. He, He withheld nothing from you. I love sports and the great, one of the greatest sports analogies is they left it all out on the field. They didn't reserve, they didn't leave any in the tank for another game. They left it all out. Jesus left it all out on the field. He poured, the Bible says he poured himself out for you. Everything he had, he poured it out, leaving nothing. That's how much he cares. That's why I say you can trust him. So if you're not in relationship with him, you say, Pastor, I need to make him my Lord and Savior. I need his grace and forgiveness. If that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you to make one bold move. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are, long enough for me to see it. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. I see those two. Anyone else? Long enough for me to see it. You say, that's me. Anyone else? Give you just a moment. Give you just a moment. Anyone else? Pastor, I need Jesus to save me. That's what you're saying when you lift your hand. I need him to save me. Anyone else? Before we pray. Those online, let our chat hosts know that you want to give your life to Christ and we'll walk you through it via technology. But for those in-house, would you all pray with me and with these couple of hands that went up and pray out loud so that you can hear it with your own ears. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give those people a big God bless you today? Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bethesda Church Podcast. 
If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting bethesdachurch.tv give. We will catch you on the next episode.